Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, March 26th, 2015. All the blood moons are coming around. All the televangelists are jumping on board. It's Chicken Little, man. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. But never worry. Never fear. I'm going to be selling t-shirts at the end of the blood moons. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down and stop and open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to actually open up our Bible to see if what's being said actually squares with what God's Word says in context. Now, uh, like I noted at the beginning of the program, oh, we're coming up on the third of the blood moons. You know what that means, don't you? The answer is it means absolutely nothing. Now, I've actually taken time to go in and debunk the whole concept regarding the four blood moons. There's nothing significant about this, nothing whatsoever. And the people who are making big hype about it, they're not doing this based upon sound biblical teaching. In fact, we're going to be listening to Jensen Franklin, who just recently from the free chapel in Gainesville, Georgia, decided to wax blood moon, if you would. And just listening to him, you can see what this is all about. Yeah, and because he just does a terrible job of teaching, <laughs> so we'll we'll be taking a listen to that, and uh, you know, listening into how he does what he's doing, and then uh, we'll take a break when we're done listening to Jensen Franklin. And what we will do is uh, second half of this hour. Oh my! <laughs> Some of the worst. Narsa Jesus, I have ever heard. Okay, so we're going to be doing a TD Jakes update. And uh, you know the story where Jesus tells the disciples to, you know, go into a town and, and there they'll find a cult, you know, untie it and bring it to him and that, and that he's going to write it in. You know, it's the it's from the Palm Sunday text, right? <laughs> I'm cracking up just thinking about this. This is awful. So, D.D. Jakes 
No joke. The name of the message we're going to be listening to. Can you could you figure out just why what I've told you how he's going to narcissize this text? By the way, if you're not familiar with the term narcissus, okay, I you may be new to the program. Let me explain what narcissus is. It comes from two words, and no, it's not like what T.D. Jakes did with Agra and culture. Um, the the two words are narcissism, which is self-love, and eisegesis, which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing when you're reading a biblical text, and that's engaging in exegesis. Exegesis means to read out what's in the text, but eisegesis is to read something into the biblical text that just ain't there. So stick the two words together, narcissism and eisegesis, and you have narcissus, which is reading your love of yourself into the biblical text where it ain't there. So if you were a narcissist like T.D. Jakes and you came across the text, well, there's the cult that Jesus said to go tell his disciples to untie it and bring it to him, and that's the thing he's going to ride on into Jerusalem in. How would you narcissist that text? <laughs> well, <laughs> what you will hear in the second half of this Hour is one of the strangest, most bizarre forms of narcissism I have ever heard, and I just don't want to totally give it away. But the name of the message is Sit on Me, Jesus. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. So that's what we're going to be listening to from T.D. Jakes. And it's like the strange things that televangelists say. And then in hour number two, I uh, I must uh, I must confess, I misspoke. Earlier in the week, I thought we were doing two sermon reviews from Australia. Well, it turns out that the uh, we did uh, one uh, sermon review from uh, Calvary Church, uh, McPherson, uh, from Australia, from Queensland. And what we're going to be doing today is not actually from Australia. It's from New Zealand. We're going to be listening to our first sermon uh, that we've ever reviewed here, although I get the feeling we're going to have to go back and, and review more of these guys, this guy's sermons. But the, the uh, pastor's name is Peter Mortlock, and uh, he has a, a church, really large megachurch, uh, multi-site thing going on down in um, New Zealand. City Impact Church, and we're going to be listening to his sermon on uh, <clears throat> basically a, a miracle offering. Yeah, he's going to he's going to be calling for a miracle offering, and this is one of the more more fascinating sermons I've listened to. Aside from the kind of the type of stuff that could cause frustrative disbelief, brain explosion, there are some real crazy things he says in there. There's also like a crystal clear presentation of the gospel, which kind of begs the question, what's he preaching the gospel for exactly? Probably for uh, reasons to create the impression that, oh, he's solid, he's orthodox, he preaches the gospel. But clearly what he's doing in this sermon is um, he's trying to raise money. Um, and uh, based upon a, a story that I read um, <laughs> regarding Peter Mortlock, I mean, the guy has, uh, well, was selling a $1.8 million dollar um, condo or apartment uh, that he owned in uh, in Australia. So we'll be taking a listen to that uh, sermon in uh, hour number two. So 
Buckle in, hold on tight. We've got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, since we're coming up on the blood moons again and all the uh, the televangelists are going nuts with it, I mean, oh no, we have a lunar eclipse on the Passover. You know what that means? Biblically, absolutely nothing. And I'll explain it when we get there. But uh, since we're starting off with a money-grubbing televangelist update, in fact, the whole program seems to be uh, really all about that today. It, well, that requires us to do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's dolly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. Quite as wonderful as money, 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 money. money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must anchor for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You round, can keep round. your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. All right, it's that time again. We've been doing this for now, what, a year and a half? Uh, debunking the whole concept of the blood moons and supposedly their impact. Well, probably one of the um, <laughs> the most miserable treatments I've ever heard of the teaching of the so-called four blood moons was recently delivered by Jensen Franklin, the televangelist from Free Chapel in Gainesville, Georgia. And uh, by the way, with this episode of Fighting for the Faith, I'll put a link up at the Fighting for the Faith website with this episode, uh, Thursday, March 26, 2015. I'll embed a YouTube playlist that I created from previous episodes of Fighting for the Faith where I go in-depth and show this whole Four Blood Moons thing doesn't hold any biblical water. That's a good way to put it. But uh, here's Jensen Franklin to uh, warn us of the significance of the blood moons. And uh, you'll notice something seriously missing from his teaching. But uh, when we get there, I'll point it out. Here's Jensen Franklin. I'm preaching today on the blood, the moon, and the feast. The blood, referring to the blood of Jesus, the moon, and the feast. And I want you to look with me in the book of Acts, a prophecy... The book of Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me. Uh, prophecy in Acts chapter 2 verse 19. He's quoting, by the way, from the book of Joel. And he says, on the day of Pentecost, I will show wonders in heaven above the signs and in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. When I think of blood, fire... <laughs> Who knew? Oh, wow. The act, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 19, gives us the blood moons. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't at all. You know, it, let's take a look at that. We'll add a little bit of context because, believe me when I tell you, what's really in the Bible is so much better, so much better than what we're being fed here by um, <clears throat> Jensen Franklin. So let's go ahead and take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. By the way, that's what the gift of tongues is, the ability to speak a human language that you've never been taught before so that people can hear the gospel in their own language. That's what the gift of tongues is. So verse 7, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying, well, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of, Israel, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now Peter quotes verbatim the prophet Joel. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's got like total recall when it comes to biblical knowledge. So he says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Here's the important part. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So in verse 20, Peter, quoting the apostle Joel, not the apostle, the prophet Joel, talks about, well, a blood moon, a sign in the heavens. And what is the cause of that blood moon? Answer, the sun is darkened. So whenever these lunar eclipses come around, you know, um, you know, blood moons have been around for, well, since the beginning. Yeah, you know, you know, every, every year there's several different uh, eclipses, either lunar eclipses or solar eclipses. Uh, you know, a lunar eclipse is caused when the, uh, the moon goes into the uh, shadow of the earth. And then a solar eclipse is caused when the moon gets in the way, it gets between the earth and the, uh, and the sun. So you know, you, there's some kind of important stuff going on here. So the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the, lo- the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So no, Joel does not talk about blood moons, at least the, the you know, <clears throat> lunar eclipses. But let's continue with the story because, again, Scripture is so much better than... Um, What's going on here being taught by Jensen Franken? So it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me read that again. Joel finishes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter then continues. Men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, or the Messiah. And he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Who was uh, Peter preaching about? Jesus, crucified risen from the grave, and even in there when quoting Joel is the promise of the gospel, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and it's for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Great story. Great sermon. Amazing sermon. Christ-centered. Law. Gospel. Sin. Grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins. And then we have Jensen Franklin keying in on verse 19. Oh, there's sons. There will be so signs in the heavens above and signs on the earth. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Oh, no. It's the four blood moons. No, it, it, it's not. You know, that's not what this text is about, nor is it even hinting at the so-called four blood moons. But here's Jensen Franklin again vapor smoke my mind goes to the old testament i think of blood the blood of animals i think of the days of sacrifice the curling smoke of incense and i think of the uh, vapor of smoke the fire and the blood because they had a continual fire burning and so there's a connection to the feast of god there were seven feasts in the old testament and this particular scripture. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Yeah, catch that. Now remember, you know, just just remember back to like basic yeah, astronomy 101 or when you were in elementary school. Remember you had to make, you know, 
you had to do that science project or that science thing where you were learning about the planets and the sun and all that kind of stuff and and you had to get the those foam styrofoam balls and you know of differing sizes and then you had to make a model of the uh, solar system and back when I did it I mean Pluto was still a planet and it it got demoted I mean poor thing but anyway <laughs> so you know yeah we we had more planets back then than we do now but anyway so you you put that thing together and you remember your it was like your fourth grade teacher saying now class the moon doesn't actually have any light of its own and you go, oh, yeah, okay. In fact, what the, all the light that we see from the moon is reflected from the sun. And you go, oh, yeah. Is, is all of this coming back to you? This is elementary school stuff here that we're talking about. So, so okay, so, you got, so the moon reflects sunlight, right? If you were to turn the sun off, the moon, you wouldn't be able to see it at, at all, okay? Because that thing ain't got it, – it does not have a light bulb in it. Anyway – so if the sun were darkened, just think about this, what would the moon look like? Right. It would look <laughs> like blood. And the reason for that is because the sun is darkened. So because here Joel is talking about the signs in the heavens, talking about the sun turned to darkness and the moon into blood, the two go together. In other words, this four blood moons thing has no, well, biblical water, like I've been saying, for the very reason, the very reason that, well, you know, lunar eclipses are quite a normal phenomenon, and it's not caused by the sun being darkened. Now, is it? We continue. Leviticus 23 talks about the feast, the seven feast. The first feast was the feast of Passover, and the Lord called them in Leviticus 23, my feast. They're my feast, God said. And the last feast, the seventh feast, in this succession was the Feast of Tabernacles. It's very significant. Now, now what, is, what is so amazing is that the Bible declares, Jesus declared that the sun, the moon, and the stars would be used like a billboard to bring messages to mankind. So, yeah, and since we've had lunar eclipses like since the beginning of the world, that ain't one of them. That's, that, there's no message there. It's just a regular occurrence. Has that ever happened? Has that ever happened? When he said there will be signs in the heavens, I'll use the star, the sun, the moon. Well, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we're told that he used a star. He lit up a certain star. And the Magi began to travel over 600 miles. They were guided by the star. They were, they were led by the star. They followed the direction of the star until they came to the child, Jesus. And so God used the star as a sign in heaven. I'm just simply, um, I'm simply laying out to you that, that this is not bizarre or weird because even the virgin birth is centered around a sign in heaven, a star shining. Oh, this is what we call dubious exegetical logic. Where Christ was born. And then in the Old Testament, when Israel uh, began to doubt the ability of God to deliver them, God used the sun to show them a sign in heaven. And now we approach something called the... Are you talking about the plague of darkness against Egypt? What are you talking about exactly? Blood moons. Now, a blood moon is not mystical or, or weird. It is a lunar eclipse. 
Every time. Yeah, they've, they've been having those since long before I was born. That the blood moon has appeared over 500 years. It's appeared three times. One time in the 14th century, two times in the 20, uh, 20th century, and now this year will be the final time that, according to NASA, in the foreseeable future, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that, that the blood moon or the uh, lunar eclipse will happen during Passover and during the Feast of Tabernacles. Pass- Oh, well, see, because it's happening during the, the Jewish feast days, which, by the way, the Mosaic Covenant has been abrogated, and these were not required to keep these Jewish feast days. But, oh, it's got to be significant. Well, keep in mind that many of the Jewish feast days fell specifically on, uh, you know, because the, you know, the Jewish calendar is actually you know, more in tune with the, a lunar calendar rather than, you know, the solar year that we talk about. Um, and so it's not uncommon for there to be lunar eclipses on Jewish feast days because of the fact that these feast days are keyed into the lunar calendar. Is the first feast. Tabernacle is the last feast. That's God language. I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha. I'm the omega. And it happened four, three times already. It's going to happen again this year. Yes, it's going to happen again. Notice it's not based upon a biblical teaching because the blood moon talked about the sun has to be darkened first. So this ain't that. I want you to see why that is significant. You say, well, what's what, so well, that is interesting. It's kind of a weird coincidence. I know I'm the same way. I think just like you. But the more I begin to look into this, I begin to understand that the heavens are God's billboard and he's trying to tell us something, I believe. There's what is God trying to tell us? Quick, call William Tapley. No way it can be a coincidence that the four, three times that has happened and now this year will be the fourth time that it fell on the Passover feast and on the tabernacle feast. And they have traced back the first lunar eclipse or what we call the blood moon. Now, what is a blood moon? It's when, it's when the sun, which is furthest away from earth, aligns with the moon directly. The sun hits it and it, it shades it out. And then a red, the, it's, it's not mystical. It's just the sun and the moon and the earth all line up. And it creates a red glow that comes on the moon. Now, when did the first blood moon appear? It happened in the year, according to NASA, 1492. (laughs) Wait, that's the year that Columbus sailed the ocean blue. It means something. God's trying to tell us something. We continue. Significant about 1492. 1492 and, the, and a couple years leading up to that was something that was called the Spanish Inquisition. What was that about? The leaders of Spain turned on the Jewish people who, mo- for the most part, were living in Spain. The Catholic Church uh, at that By the way, I go in detail talking about how this doesn't actually fit that. Uh, began to persecute the Jews and tried to get them to convert over. and because Oh, and by the way, this falls into the logical fallacy known as post hoc ergo propter hoc, which yeah, I know it's, 
mouthful. My wife calls it post hoc ergo poppycock. But here's the basic idea. It means after this, therefore, because of this. Oh, well, see, there was a four-blood moon tetrad about the time of the Spanish Inquisition and, and the persecution of the Jews in Spain. Therefore, the two are somehow related, you know, and God was saying something. N- no, post hoc ergo propter hoc. There were thousands of Jews that were slaughtered in Spain, and then came the Inquisition, in which the Spanish leadership said to the Jews, "You have nobody expects a Spanish Inquisition." That's what they said. Days to get out. You cannot take silver. You cannot take gold. You cannot take your goods. You must get out of our nation. Columbus was a practice, he practiced Judaism. He wrote letters to his son and he would put Jewish symbols and he would uh, say Jewish phrases and open letters with Jewish prayers because he was in contact with those rabbis. And so he didn't just go. So you know what's missing here? Like a clear biblical text that teaches the four blood moons. So where is... uh Jensen Franklin right now, What basically he's jumped on to the Four Blood Moons bandwagon. And the sad part about it is not just that he just he jumped onto this bandwagon because this bandwagon ain't going nowhere. Um, inst- you know, this is strange winds of doctrine being blown hither and yon kind of thing. But uh, not only has he jumped onto this, this bandwagon, but, I mean, he's not even really teaching anything that the Bible says. And like I said, what the Bible says there in Acts chapter 2 is so much better than what he's saying. Yet, you know, Christians, you know, nowadays chasing after the latest strangest speculative eschatological winds of doctrine and we can we know that this somehow is keyed into something to do with Israel today, you know, and uh, no, it's not. The God's word does not predict or talk about the so-called four blood moons. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, one of the strangest... <laughs> things of narcissists I've ever seen from T.D. Jake. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Bird Cage Theater presents Church Day Select. These planes would give us passengers more leg room. Hey, let me help you with your luggage. Oh, thank you so much. What in the world do you have in these bags? Bricks. Bricks? 
I'm a door-to-door brick salesperson. I'm not even going to ask. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. If you have not already done so, please stow your carry-on luggage underneath the seat in front of you or in an overhead bin. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelts and make sure your seat back and tray tables are in their full upright and locked positions. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. In case y'all don't know me, I'm Mark Driscoll, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Oh, dear. He looks more like a terrorist, if you ask me. If any of you passengers feel at any time that you could pilot this plane better than me, then you'll be swiftly thrown under the bus. I mean plane. As you may have noticed, there are also no parachutes on this flight, which means, should you be thrown off the plane, that your landing will be unpleasant. We thank you for flying Mars Hill Air with us today. I guess it's time to take off, then. Well, let's just hope our flight to Boston will be nice and easy. Jersey anyway! That's it! God, please escort this man to the back of the plane for violent ejection. Hey! I have my rights! You can't do this to people! Oh, but I can. I can't believe that just happened! There's something seriously wrong with all of this. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like... Oh. Yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. It is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we are about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. Um, I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. 
We're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the four blood moons thing has, like, no biblical basis whatsoever. And that would be a good thing. Save your money. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it, to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support us. And if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute to partner with us, you can do so by clicking on the donate button right there in the middle of our uh, homepage on the website, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we can't do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Yep. Time for a T.D. Jakes update. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Elder Narrow, wanna be a millionaire? Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shackles, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of oof and whistle for wearing it green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can in vehicle. Want to live in regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. All right, that's Dr. Teeth from The Muppet Show and money and money and money. Now, what we're going to be listening to, like I've already told you, is one of the most bizarre teachings I have ever heard as far as narcissism, Jesus is concerned, reading the, your own self-love into a biblical text. And the name of the message is Sit On Me, Jesus. I am not joking. We're going to listen to two portions of it. And based on what it is that we are about to hear, I, I, I think I actually should play our standard warning because, believe me when I tell you, listening to this, this next segment could literally, literally be dangerous to your health. So uh, here's our standard warning. And uh, like I said, you know, brace yourselves because this is crazy. Here we go. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spumant disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. 
Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You've been warned. Here we go. Here's Sit On Me Jesus <laughs> from T.D. Jakes. Here we go. Amazes me the little things that people do not notice when it comes to walking with God. Sometimes I think it is because we look for the big things. Yeah. But the sign of God's favor in your life is not always manifest in the big things that he does. But rather in the little insignificant things that you would not even notice that he did. He's, he has come now to the Mount of Olives right outside of Bethphage. And he's standing there and he says, they're the village next to you. Now he's standing in one village and he's speaking to them about the village next to them. He said, they're the village next to you. And in that village where two roads meet, there is a colt tied. Okay, <laughs> yes, this I'm familiar with this. This would be, you know, the text that's read uh, on Palm Sunday. Yeah. Nobody did any more than you did. They didn't shout. They didn't holler. They didn't question. They just listened. Never noticing, never thinking, never rationalizing. How does he know? We, we, we think we are tricking somebody who is so aware of what is going on that he knows about a cult in another city exactly where he is in a village that he is not in, knows the address that the cult is on, knows the history of the cult. No man has ever sat on him, knows exactly the position of the cult. He's tied outside the door where two roads meet and Jesus said it as if it were nothing. It's amazing the things that God does for us and, and we don't... Whoa, there's the turn. It's amazing the thing God does for us. So he's not really uh, actually preaching this text. Now, like I've been saying for a while now, listen, the biblical text is so much better. What it says there is so much more amazing than what T.D. Jakes is doing or what all these Bible twisters are doing. Let's take a look at one of the accounts of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And you can find this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. I'll start at verse 1. Here's what it says. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." So this is, by the way, prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So notice, this prophecy from Zechariah is being fulfilled. Your king is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Big deal. Why? Well, because a king doesn't ride on a beast of burden. Kings ride on white stallions, and they come in on war horses. But Christ is coming here, not on a war horse, but on a beast of burden. He's not come to judge. Instead, he's come to be judged in our place, to take our sin upon himself and to die 
on the cross. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And and the crowds went before him that followed him, and they were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Great stuff going on here. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a donkey, come to die for our sins. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Mm, Good stuff. And it's all about who? Jesus. It's about Jesus and what he's done for you. But um, T.D. Jakes apparently has gotten lost in the weeds here. (laughs) As he's recounting the story, you know, he's... He's gone down a, a a bunny trail, if you would, and clearly has gotten lost because he thinks, no joke, that, that, that somehow now we can just turn this and make it about ourselves. And you, like I said, you've already been warned. Let's see where he goes with this. Notice that he's doing them. We're so busy trying to get our wish list done that we don't notice the little simple things that God does for us every day. Little simple things like waking you up in the morning and little little simple things like keeping that raggedy car you got running little 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 simple things i know i know it doesn't sound big and impressive or anything like that but how god bless you that old raggedy washing machine to keep on going and and you can't even figure out how come it's still going and yet some kind of way <laughs> so <laughs> this text apparently yeah, it's all about God keeping your washing machine running. God does it just because he loves you, but because we're so worried about big stuff, sometimes we don't see little things. Glory to God. Touch your neighbor and say it's the little things. Yeah, it's just the little things. It's the little things that he does for me every day. I don't get jealous because your testimony is bigger than mine. I'm not upset because you've got a bigger house or car than mine. I'm not upset because you've got a big fancy testimony and you've got a lot of prestige because I'm so... Yeah, that sounds to me like what he's trying to do. That's propaganda designed to silence those critics of his who are complaining about how wealthy he is and stuff like that. That's not in this text. I can thank him for little things. I I can give God a big praise for little things because I know I don't deserve anything that he did for me. And when I start praising him, I thank him for the little things. I, I, I beat the world getting happy about little stuff. You woke me up this morning. Thank you, Jesus. You let me sleep through last night. Thank you, Jesus. You, you, you kept me when I wasn't even thinking about you. you. You let me get home when I was driving drunk in the street. You, you brought me out of the club and the alley and, and stopped folks from shooting me and killing me. You, you blessed my mama and you blessed my daddy and you blessed my sister. And you blessed my brother. You blessed my kids and you blessed my life. What text are you reading from again? 
You kept my heart going while I was asleep last night. I didn't miss a breath. Woke up early this morning. Nobody had to dress me. Nobody had to comb my hair, brush my teeth. I thank you for little things. No, I didn't get anything new this week, but I thank you for keeping the old stuff, regulating my health and maintaining my body. Is there anybody in here that ever thanks God for the little things? Oh, touch somebody and say it's the little things. It's the little thing. He says, go down to the village next to you. And, and I've got a coat on hold. <laughs> I've got a coat on hold. He can't go back. He can't go forward. He can move around a little bit on a rope, but he can't go too far. I got him tied up. What? Oh, when God has a plan for your life. Now, this is where he really jumps the track. All of that stuff we just heard, that's the warm-up. <laughs> now he's going to get into T.D. Jake's rare form here. Hang on to your hats. I don't care how much you murmur and complain and kick and fuss and scream and yell. When you know that God has a plan for your life, he has you tied up. We... <laughs> so apparently you are the colt. You're, you're the, uh, the donkey that's tied up. Yeah, you're all tied up. Yeah. And here we go talk all the time about God loosening people, but sometimes we need to talk about God tying people because I this has nothing to do with God tying people up. <laughs> God that'll tie you up while you're acting crazy. Tie you up while you're trying to do your own thing. Tie you up while your temper is raging, tie you up while your ambition is out of control. Sometimes God will tie you up till the time is right. Nothing will work. Your money won't work. Your career won't work. The boyfriend will leave. The house will sell. The mountain will stand in front of you. Cause when This sounds like a country and western song. God has you tied up. He's not going to let you get away. He said, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Has there anybody in here that's ever been tied up? Been tied up. <laughs> I have no idea what on earth we are listening to so apparently he's got everyone all excited because they're tied up you know because you know the cult was uh, tied up <laughs> it's not going the way that i want them to go i've been tied up the games that i normally could get into i can't get into them anymore the favor that i normally could get to work for me is not working for me i'm tied up i want some people right now your situation is completely tied up I want you to have enough faith to praise God on credit. Yeah, because everybody knows that that Palm Sunday text is all about praising God on credit during the times when, you you know, you're tied up. <laughs> Just 
This takes Narcissus to a completely different level. I mean, I've not quite seen anything like this. In fact, I, you know, I'm hoping that Stephen Furtick is taking notes because, you know, if he really wants to be better at Narcissus, he needs to, you know, take a lesson here from TD Jakes. But let's uh, fast forward just a little bit so we can you know, make sure in this segment that we get to the part where, well, it's named after the sermon. That, you know, well, the sermon is actually named after the segment on Sit On Me, Jesus. So we'll fast forward just a little bit more to speed things along. Here we go. Man, the third little thing I want to say is that he said, bring him here and tell him the Lord has need of him. I, I needed to know that because I didn't know that God needed folks who were tied up. Well, actually, he doesn't. He has need of a donkey for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I, I thought God only used loose people. But it helps me to know that God has a need for somebody who got some issues in their life. I still need you. I know you tied up in some mess, but I still need you. I know you've got some yokes on your life, but I still need you. I know you've got some bondages somewhere, but I, I still need you. Tell him that. Bring him here to me. Then he predicts opposition by saying, if anybody tries to stop you. Yeah, well, if he's predicting opposition, and since I'm the donkey, you know, well, that means that God's going to, you know, he's predicting opposition to you for whatever God's doing in your life, right? You're not coming in, my, in your name. You're coming in my name. And if anybody tries to stop you in the way, just tell them the Lord has need of them. You don't need to fight your battles in your name. You need to fight your battles in Jesus' name. In your name, you can't get the victory. But in his name, you can get a breakthrough. Somebody say Jesus' name. You don't even know what you said when you said Jesus. You don't even know what you're talking about because this has nothing to do with Jesus. You said Jesus' hell got nervous. When you said Jesus, demons began to tremble. When you said Jesus, witches fell back. When you said Jesus, hexes were broken. When you said Jesus, incantations lost their power. When you said Jesus, hell began to regurgitate. There's something about the name of Jesus. Cancer has to bow to it. Leukemia has to bow to Standard template for money-grubbing televangelists to talk, oh, to cancer and you know, leukemia has to bow to Jesus. Health and wealth and prosperity, all part of T.D. Jakes' shtick. High blood pressure has to bow to it. Liars have to bow to it. Backbiters have to bow to it. Touch somebody say there's something about that name. Touch three people say Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over your house, Jesus over your finances. Je yeah, he's not preaching Jesus in his saving office, Jesus who bled and died for your sins, Jesus who saves you from sin, death, and the devil. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus who saves you from, you know, bad relationships and, you know, things like that. Different Jesus. Over your body, Jesus over your children, Jesus over your situation. 
Jesus over your circumstance. Jesus over that condition in your body. You ought to lay hands on yourself and say, Jesus. Lay hands on yourself? Jesus, heal my mind. Jesus, heal my body. Jesus, heal my soul. Jesus, touch my finances. Jesus, touch my children. Now, all of this is what it means to take God's name in vain. He's using the name of Jesus to basically pass off a cheap counterfeit Jesus, not the real Jesus. Touch my situation, Jesus. Touch my job, Jesus. Touch my life, Jesus. Move that mountain, Jesus. Make a way, Jesus. Bring me out. I want the devil to know I'm not praising the universe. I'm not praising a unicorn. I'm not praising Socrates. He's on a roll, is he not? I'm not praising Aristotle. I'm not praising Buddha. I'm not praising Confucius. I'm not praising Gnosticism. I'm not praising intellectualism. But I'm praising a God. And his name is Jesus. And the name of the Lord is a strong tower where the righteous run. The- got them all worked up and so that they're not paying attention to the fact he's totally twisting this text. In and are safe. Flap three people and say, Jesus, my healer, my deliverer, my way maker, my bridge, my mountain mover. My rose of Sharon, my lily of the valley, my bright and morning star. Take 60 seconds and give him a crazy praise. Crazy. 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 The other day, I had to go to court, and they said, all rise. Now, this is the turn. This is where we're going to get to the sit-on-me part. Seen the honorable judge so-and-so, and everybody stood. When the judge came in, everybody was standing. When the judge sat down, it was a sign that court was in session. Whenever you see Jesus sit down, court is in session. Mm. (laughs) This is going to take a weird turn. It don't matter what the devil was trying to do. When you see the judge sit, you know there will be justice. I want to tell everybody in this room that's been up under attack and it looked like the enemy was about to win the Lord sent me here this morning to tell you that he just sat down (laughs) okay so now we're getting to the sitting part of Jesus's uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem he's going to sit on the colt you know 
He said, on your situation, he's going to sit down on your finances. So apparently Jesus' triumphal entry where he's sitting on a colt full of a donkey. Um, yeah, that's all about Jesus. He's going to sit on your finances. You know, because, you know, court's in session when the judge sits down, you know. Because that's what that text is about, right? No, not at all. He's going to sit down on your medical report. The Bible said that he sits on. Oh, I'm about to feel like preaching. Ow. The Bible. That he sits on the circle of the earth. It said that heaven was his throne and earth was his footstool. And whenever he sits, something is going to happen. He sat down on the earth and separated the firmaments. He sat down on the Mount of Olives and taught the Beatitudes. He sat down on the colt and entered into Jerusalem. He sat down. Now remember, you're the colt. You're tied up, right? He sat down. He sat down on the day of Pentecost when they were in one place with one accord. The Bible said. The Bible doesn't teach any of this. He sat on each of them and they were. What? <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, Jesus sat on all the disciples. I just read the story of the account. Of, I didn't hear anything about Jesus sitting on the disciples. Feel with the Holy Ghost. Throw your hand up and say, sit on me. So who knew? I mean, I, man, uh, you know, all of these pastors, you know, who this coming Sunday are going to preach on this text, you know, of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They've got it wrong when they think it's about Jesus. No, it's about Jesus sitting on you. Yeah, because, you know, you've been tied up. Yeah, and if I had just said, you know, did you hear what T.D. Jakes said the other day? And I had told you, you would have said, no way. What? Does the guy have no conscience? No shame? I would tend to think that he doesn't, uh, especially after that epic twisting of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pyre Christian. Quick break. When we come back, sermon from a church we've never reviewed a sermon before in Australia. Stay t- not Australia, New Zealand. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. 
we're going to take a look at the ecclesiastical model employed by much of American evangelicalism today, especially as put forward by the seeker-driven movement. Chris Rosebro talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case conference. We're going to take a look at where this idea of a vision-casting leader comes from, what its main tenets are, and we're going to compare that so-called ecclesiastical office to the biblical office of pastor to see if the two are actually synonymous and interchangeable or if this concept of a vision-casting leader actually turns a pastor into a false prophet. You can meet and hear Chris Rosebro making the case against vision-casting leaders in the church June 19th and 20th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. Heading down to New Zealand. Confusing that. Let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via City Impact Church. They are a multi-site church out of New Zealand. Peter Mortlock presiding. The name of the sermon that we're going to be listening to is entitled Miracle Offering 2015. And this is... Yeah, as mind-numbingly bizarre as uh, anything we've heard from any money-grubbing televangelist. And it's clearly, clearly, uh, you know, uh, well, an attack on the wallets of the people there at City Impact Church. And this is just false teaching like you wouldn't believe with, uh, oddly enough, a clear sound of the gospel peeling through. In other words, he's using the gospel... As a basically the means by which to um, to shunt and blunt criticism, let me back off on the music and let me read to you a news article about Peter Mortlock that appeared uh, on, uh, last February in the New Zealand Herald. The uh, headline reads: "One point eight million price tag for pastor's luxury pad." This should give you an idea of what uh, Peter Mortlock's all about. Um, City Impact Church founders Peter and Bev Mortlock are selling their, I cannot pronounce this word, Wanga Pararawaiwaya Mansion, and its price tag has surprised one church member who says some in the congregation 
are struggling to pay their bills after giving so much to the church. Now, that's kind of an important little testimony from somebody who attends City Impact Church. They're living in poverty. They're struggling to pay their bills. And Peter Mortlock has a $1.88 million mansion. Best known for fronting a weekly church-funded TV program, the Mortlocks Yeah, they're televangelists. It's kind of a theme here on today's episode. The Mortlocks have put their private home on the market. A person who has been attending City Impact's two Auckland branches in Mount Wellington and Albany for the past three years knew of a church member who was struggling to pay his bills after giving so much to the church. And the reason for that is the manipulation put on these people. And you're going to hear the type of manipulation put on them regarding this miracle offering for 2015. The churchgoer said that while he was a Christian, he did not believe people on low income should give more than they could afford. The expansive property has four bedrooms, four bathrooms, three living areas, a heated pool and spa, and is described in promotional material as having, quote, a feeling of grandeur and opulence. The property near Shakespeare Regional Park has a government valuation of $1.65 million. The churchgoer said representatives made a big push during each service about the importance of giving to the church before baskets were passed around for weekly offerings given on top of of tithings of 10% of people's salary. However, people were told not to put in more than they could afford. Payments could be made by credit card and cash, internet banking, or a new mobile app. City Impact Church received... $5.35 $5.35 million in donations in 2012, making up more than half of its annual income of $9.16 million. In the same year, $3.94 million was spent on salaries and wages for its 62 full-time and 43 part-time staff, according to the latest annual return filed with the Charities Commission. So that gives you an idea what's going on there at um, City Impact Church. The Mortlocks live in opulence, in luxury, heated pool, three living areas, four bedrooms, $1.88 million luxury pad. And uh, that, I think, should set things up here so you understand what it is exactly that we're going to be listening to and uh, and how you how you can understand why these people are putting so much pressure and manipulating God's word and pressuring these people to give and give sacrificially give in a way that it's a memorial to God that's what we're going to hear Mortlock talk about so without any further ado here is Peter Mortlock from City Impact Church and his sermon entitled Miracle Offering 2015 Well good morning church Good morning, Mount Wellington and Queenstown, Belclutha and Invercargill. We're streaming live across uh, the nation this morning, special morning. And uh, of course, I just want to say... Well, good morning, church. Good morning, Mount Wellington and Queenstown, Belclutha and Invercargill. We're streaming live across uh, the nation this morning, special morning. And uh, of course, I just want to say it's great to be back. Uh, For those who don't know, we were just over in the States for a summit over there with 100 key pastors around the world. They also brought in some business people, some billionaires to talk to us about kingdom and uh, what's happening around the planet. So that was very... Yeah, billionaires, that means he's super important. I mean, if he's talking to billionaires, I mean, because those, you know, everybody knows those are the most important people on the planet, according to Jesus, you know. 
very exciting. And uh, I just want to say it's great to be back. We had a little bit of a bumpy flight going over. I hate bumpy flights, but uh, enough to say it's always good to be back home. But uh, just by way of introduction this morning, uh, we were on the plane coming from Miami to L.A., and uh, there's a guy in front of me, and I could tell that he was obviously well-known because the air stewards were uh, fluffing around him and not fluffing around me. And uh, so I, I could tell that he was somebody that was well-known by the way people were talking about him. And so in any case, I reached out to him. I gave him my personal track, and uh, which shares uh, my life, and then, of course, encourages people to give their life to Christ. And uh, so on the flight, he read it, and uh, it turns out he uh, comes a photo up on the screen. He's a, a famous uh, a football player over there in New Orleans. Here he is here. And uh, so in any case, he got to the end of the flight. He turned around. He said, what I've read has just made such a difference in my life. He's only been married a month. His wife was with him. And he said, I've really thought about this. And so in any case, one of the reasons you fly up the front of the plane is so you can get off first, right? But uh, I got off first. My wife stayed back with him and his wife, stood uh, talking with him while everybody else exited the plane over half an hour. She got to pray for him and and so forth, so forth. So, you know, you never know who you're going to meet and have an influence in their life. Amen. And uh, so that was a real joy. And of course, we got to share with others as well. Um, I won't tell you those stories. I haven't got time for those, but enough to say that it is is great to be home. You know, last night at the... um, on Friday night it was at the prayer meeting. I was so blessed. First of all, I was blessed to see so many people out praying, uh, praying and believing God for a miracle. And I know that prayer meeting's down south, but you know, enough to say that my house will be a house of prayer and prayer changes things. And I don't know about you, friend, but not only in traveling, but I read the news every day and uh, you know, and I know, and I was just thinking about, you know, that mosque that was blown up, 137 killed. Jesus said, no kingdom divided against itself will stand. I just want to put that thought out there. But uh, you know, what's happening in the world today and uh, it's, it's so important that you and I uh, show the love of Christ to people and, uh, and reach out and uh, whoever we come across, endeavor to share something of Jesus with them. Amen. You know, we have the only, if I use the word religion, where a God would come and die for mankind, not only die, but be raised again back to life. Amen. And uh, well, yeah, I guess. Uh, wow. I mean, he talks about Jesus dying and rising. I mean, the guy's got to be solid, right? I just thank God for Jesus. He's made such a difference in my life. I know he's made a difference in your life, and that's why you were here on Friday night. I took some photos uh, of us here, and I know you had prayer meetings down south as well, but here's some photos of us here on Friday night. These were taking about 10 to 12, and the place was still very full, and it was very, very exciting. Uh, I was also thrilled to get my grandson and granddaughter close evening in prayer, and it was just so exciting to see the next generation coming through uh, in, in prayer. But but, um, you know, can I just get the camera in Invercargill and Queenstown and uh, Bill Clues to check this out? Can we get the camera running along this wall here? This, this what we call the Wailing Wall, like we're the furthest place from Jerusalem. Uh, can we get, have we got that camera shot? Are you going to run along or are you just kind of zoom, you're just angling the camera? Cool. I thought he'd run, you know, I kind of thought, you know, like, all right. So enough to say that um, what we're doing this weekend is we're marrying our prayer and our offering together. And that can sound a bit strange to people. You're doing what? You're marrying your offering and your prayer together? That's weird. 
people, I understand that. But we've taken it out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, not from the planet of the apes, but out of the Bible. Cornelius, uh, he was a man, a Gentile, a Roman. He, wa- he wasn't a Jew, but there's something about when you pray and give. And uh, it says in Acts 10 verse 4, an angel visited him. That's not a bad deal, is it? Amen. An angel visited him. And in Acts 10.4, the angel uh, appeared, and when he observed him, Cornelius said to the angel, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and your arms. That's not your arms and legs. Your offerings, your prayers and your offerings has come as a memorial. Everybody say a memorial. Now we're going to pause right there. Remember, uh, what Scripture really says is so much better than what these guys are saying. And you'll notice he's using the same kind of Bible-twisting technique that we saw Jensen Franklin use, that we saw T.D. Jakes use. Now he's going to do the same thing. Totally ignore what's going on in the text. Find a, you know something that he wants to talk about and then just run with it to make it say something it's not saying. So let me ask you the question. Do you think that Acts chapter 10, verse 4 was written so that you can know how to marry your prayers with your offerings so that you can, well, give a miracle offering that will be memorialized by God. Is that the reason why? Well, let's take a look at what's going on. Acts chapter 10, I'll start at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. Now, this tells you something about Cornelius. Um, He was in the class of people known as God-fearers. These are Gentiles converting to Judaism, and um, Cornelius is not yet circumcised, but he's participating and learning and being indoctrinated into uh, Judaism. That's why he's called a God-fearer, and so he believes in the one true God. He absolutely does, but he's not yet a Jew, Um, you know, otherwise he would not be called a God-fearer. And he's still a Gentile. Big deal. And probably this might have something to do with the fact that he's a centurion and a Roman soldier. But listen to what it says about him. So he was uh, what was known as the town cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people. Uh huh. Notice verse 1 says he gave alms to whom? Not the synagogue, not the church. But he was giving alms to the people. Alms uh, is basically, you know, uh, uh, if you would, to give money to those in need. Alms has to do with pity, those who are poor and in poverty. And so who is he giving money to? Not the church. Nope. He's giving money to poor people, people who need them out of pity. It's alms to to care for their needs. He's loving his neighbor by giving generously to them. And, uh, and he prayed continually to God. That means he already believes in Yahweh. Now about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms, your generosity and your love for your neighbor has, a, has ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius is going to be literally, if you would, the first really truly recognized Christian 
who is a Gentile, not born Jewish. And that's what's going on in this text. So when you pay attention to the details here, um, who did uh, Cornelius give his money to? Not the synagogue. He gave them as alms to the people. But Mortlock here, he skipped verse 1, and uh, he noticed what he did. He switched, he changed, he transmogrified Cornelius's, you know, almsgiving into offerings to the church. Let me back this up so that you can kind of hear how he's uh, twisting what's going on, and then you can see just how duplicitous this man is. Appeared, and when he observed him, Cornelius said to the angel, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your arms, that's not your arms and legs, your offerings, your prayers and your offerings has come as a memorial. Everybody say, Alms are not offerings. Alms are, well, taking care of your neighbor financially out of your own pocket. A memorial. A memorial before the Lord. And so this man, Cornelius, not a non-Jew, opened the door to the Gentiles, that's you and I, to be saved because he was a man of prayer and he was a man who gave to the work of God. And uh, uh, No, actually, he gave generously to people in need. That's what an alm is. You're twisting this text, Peter. But see, that's what this, this is what's going on here. Now, you'll hear the gospel in here, but the gospel is designed to just create the impression this guy's on the level. But all of this is about getting more money. And remember, he's got a mansion, opulent. There's something about building a memorial. There's another scripture, and it's good to have two to substantiate a doctrine. But in Mark chapter 14, verse 9, uh, where this woman came and broke her alabaster bowl, we know it was a year's wages of oil. And some would say, well, that's a waste. But I want to tell you, God is not short. Amen? He doesn't lack. And so the thing was, Jesus said, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Yeah, and notice she didn't give money to the ongoing work and mission of Jesus. No. Again, over and again, over and again, the, uh, the what's in Scripture is so much better than what these guys are saying. Mark chapter 14, verse 3, while Jesus was at, at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, you can almost put in parentheses, Simon, formerly known as the leper because Jesus came to town, right? As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask, poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Yeah, so notice she didn't give a memorial offering, you know, in order to receive a blessing or anything like that. But she did what she did because she's a penitent sinner trusting in Jesus for her forgiveness. And, you know, so what uh, Peter Mortlock is doing here, well, we've got the two verses now out of context, ignoring everything that's going on there, not telling the great stories that are there in Scripture. No, no, no. He's just found the verses he wants because this is all about the 2015 miracle offering. We continue.
And so this weekend, we are endeavoring to build memorials. And so we're believing for miracles. And we're not buying a miracle, but we're believing for miracles. Uh, yeah, we're not buying a miracle, but we're believing for them. Because there's two verses out of context that mention the word memorial. Uh-huh. This is a con. Amen. And uh, I thank God for all these prayers. We laid them out and we prayed over them and we're believing God for a miracle. I want to open up the word to you today. And I'm so excited about it. in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Turn to the person beside you and say, we're in for a great day. A great day. A great day. Verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. I, I think that's very cool, right? I think that is just cool. Uh, Can I just encourage you, friend? You need to invite Jesus into your world. I said you need to invite Jesus into your world. Amen? Into your home. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table when a woman who lived a sinful life. Anybody out there? I'll go first. I've got three other people. The rest are saints. A woman who lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She bought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, maybe you should do that to me one night. I'm just thinking about this, you know. That's a comment to his wife. That's just awkward you've never washed my feet like this you know yeah weird i'm just thinking hey it's a different culture remember they walked dusty streets and so when you entered a person's house they used to wash your feet that was the deal of the day you know it'd be like us brushing our feet on the doormat outside we wear shoes they only had sandals there's no tar seal or concrete anything like that okay you're off the hook babe Mind you, no, okay. When the awkward, this is weird. The Pharisees who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him and said, you know, Jesus, no. Yeah, what other kind of people are there again? No problem reaching out and touching sinners, amen. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus said, two men You know, it's Jesus because it's in red letters. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Which one of them would love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards a woman, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little." Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Verse 49, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith, everybody say your faith, your faith has saved you, go in peace. 
Now, as I mentioned, notice the red writing. Therefore, I tell you, says Jesus, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. I wonder if we know, down in Invercargill, I wonder really if we know the cost of our salvation. That God himself would package himself in the flesh and die, put his hand, put himself in the hands of his creation to die on a cross, be humiliated, hang naked on a cross, be whipped and beaten and bloodied for your sin and my sin, be separated from the Father so that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's what sin does. It separates us from God. Now, notice this part of the sermon, I mean, this is solid. This is pretty good gospel preaching here. But that's all the bait to cover the hook, unfortunately. So he's preaching the gospel in order to hide the hook, because remember, the name of the sermon is 2015 Miracle Offering. So he's put the gospel in here front and center to basically make his victims, well, feel at ease with him, because where, where he's going to go from here has nothing to do with the gospel. And he did that because he loves you. You know, when I think about God, I think of him as a provider. That's the role of a husband, is it not, to provide? I know we're mixed up today in our genders and, and all that kind of stuff, more mixed up than what we should be. But a husband is to provide. Now, you imagine if when you got engaged, if you didn't buy your fiancé chocolates or flowers or a, a ring, just got a plastic ring from McDonald's or something, you know? I mean, it would be a reflection of your love, would it not, you know? I mean, guys sacrifice a lot, normally gold and diamonds and, you know, to, to show their love, right? Right? And all the ladies missed a great opportunity. I mean, I'm just letting you know that. But, but, but it's true, friend, that God is a provider. God is a provider. Isn't it, isn't it right in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God is concerned for your daily needs. I was sitting on my prayer seat, uh, looking out over the ocean just yesterday and watching these birds diving into the ocean, catching fish. They do what they are supposed to do. They do what they are created to do. God put the fish here for the birds to dive and to eat, right? He provides food. The Bible said he provides food for every animal on the planet. And he provides food for you. Not that you're an animal, by the way, but he provides for you. Yeah, this is true. We know a lot of nations have poverty issues. And you and I know the Bible says that there is enough food in the ground to feed the hungry, but is swept away by injustice, by the corruption of man and the greed of man, and often caught. Yeah, like, you know, the greed of televangelists who live in mansions while the people in their congregation are can't even barely pay their bills because they're manipulated into giving miracle offerings. You know, that kind of thing. This is poverty. But the thing is, friend, I'm here to tell you, God is a provider. Not only in the little things, our daily bread, but also in the big things, your sins are forgiven. That's a big Yeah, this is true. Big deal. I'm glad. I'm, so, I'm glad I'm going to heaven. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, I, 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 I watch and listen 
And sometimes at funerals, with all respect, and you know, there's not a lot of hope at some funerals, but they still say, well, rest in peace. Or they still say, I hope you're doing all right up there, mate. And you know, and I, my heart grieves because friend, without Jesus, you're not getting in and you need Jesus. You need the blood of him over your life. Amen. And if- well, yeah, I, I agree so far with what you've said, but you've kind of telegraphed where you're going with how you twisted the story of Cornelius and the woman who anointed Jesus. We're, yeah, this, so this, all this is kind of a diversion, you know, because the, the real agenda of your sermon's coming up. I can just feel it. It's not a popular message today, but I tell you, it's a Bible message. The Bible message is you must be born again. And so the thing is, as God has provided the little things, he's provided the way of escape. He's provided the way of salvation. It's a free gift. And yet many people are choosing and refusing to accept it. And so God is willing to give and to give, whether it be our daily needs, whether it be grace and mercy. Does it not say in Philippians 4.19, my God, I'm going to sing it. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. He. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Sound like an addition for American Idol. Don't rush me for your signatures, but um, I mean my signature, sorry. So, but of course that promise follows verse 18, where it says, having received from you a sweet and acceptable sacrifice, will pleasing to God. A lot of people running around and saying, my God shall supply all my needs, but there's no sweet smelling sacrifice. Uh, What? So apparently people running around saying, God's going to supply all my needs, but God's saying, "Mm, yeah, well, where's the sweet-smelling sacrifice? Yeah, I can't meet all your needs until you cough up the dough, you know? I don't know what you're thinking. You think God's going to just freely take care of your needs? You got another thing coming. You better pony up. Boy, this took a bad turn quick, didn't it? Jehovah Jireh, the word Jireh, this is one of the the titles that God reveals to his people, to Abraham on Mount Moriah, was Jireh. What does Jireh mean? Provider. He is our provider. Did he not provide water in the wilderness, water out of a rock? Did he not provide manna in the wilderness? And on the sixth day, he provided twice as much so they didn't have to go and collect it on the Sabbath. Did he not provide quail? And more than enough bountiful quail. You know, this will cook your noodle, but it's so true. Jesus is invited to a wedding. They run out of wine. He turns water into wine. And not just a little bit, but an abundance of wine. They had more than enough. The wedding was nearly over. Did he not, when he multiplied the the fishes and the loaves, have leftovers both times? Why have leftovers, God? What a waste. I'm here to tell you, God is a God of the overflow. He's a God of more than enough. Yeah, he's a God of more than enough. But, well, you know, we need that sweet-smelling cash sacrifice from you before, you know, God's going to meet your needs. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you were thinking, thinking that, you know, God can somehow just supply your needs because he's, you know, kind and gracious and things like that. Yeah, you better send up a memorial offering quick. You know, that bread might have gone moldy. The fish might have gone stale. I don't know. But why does God provide more than what we need? 
In all these cases he did, the, the cup wasn't just half full. David said, my cup overflows. You might say, well, what a waste. Well, I'm not God. Hallelujah, nor are you. You need to start thinking as God thinks. He puts flowers and valleys that you and I will never, ever get to. And no man will ever see. But look at the universe sitting and contemplating the wonder of creation. I just get mad at the stupidity of man and the folly of man trying to excuse creation by saying these things are evolved. And I look at creation and the wonder of it, these birds diving into the water. It's as if he knows like all the right buttons to press so that they'll give a big miracle offering. You know what I'm saying? He's he's pushing all of the conservative evangelical buttons. You know, he's he believes in creation, not evolution, preaches the gospel. But interweaved in all of this is the real thread of this message. It's not Christ and him crucified for our sins. That's not what he's interested in preaching. No, you got to bring that sweet-smelling sacrifice so that God can become your provider. And all that kind of stuff, and I look up at the, at the heavens. Do you know what? I could think, what a waste, God, all those planets. Why put so many up there? God is a God of the abundance. Everybody say abundance. abundance. And so sometimes we have trouble getting on the same page as God, and we get all upset when somebody gets a new refrigerator. But you take the extra talent given to the guy who already had 10. John Bevere speaked about it, did he not? One guy's got... John Bevere, the um, false teacher, John Bevere. And another guy's got five, one's got one. The guy who had one was not faithful. He didn't multiply it. And it was taken off of him, given to the guy who's got 10. And that's a twisting of that parable. You were here. You heard it. Hello? And so his cup overflowed, he came into abundance. God just gives and gives. Why does he give? Because he loves. God is love. Ephesians 3.18, to know and to understand the height, the depth, the width of the love of Christ towards you. Is it up on the screen? Look at that. Even more, we were sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, he did. Even more, you're out there. Doing wrong things, Jesus still loved you and he gave his life for you. First John 19, we can only love him because he first loved us. True. You know, I often do it and I know it sounds geeky and I don't like telling you, but you know, I know some of you already think I'm, I don't know what you think. <laughs> but you know, I, I'm sitting on my prayer and I often do this. You know, the scripture says, kiss the son, least he be angry with you, you know. And, and often I just, when I'm praying, I just put my arms around God and I give him a kiss on the cheek. I just do that. You know, I know you. Oh, uh, what? I know you think, well, the pastor's lost it now. <laughs> but I just, you know, when you fall in love with God, when you fall in love with Jesus and, you know, I can't fathom out God any more than you can, but I can, hallelujah, know his goodness on my life and know him personally may not understand all the complexities of God. And so the question is, is as we come to our annual miracle offering is... Then now we're getting into it. Now, now the real reason for the message is, has arrived. Do we love him? Do we, do we really love him? How much do we love him? Yeah, how much do you love Jesus? You better give till it hurts, man. You know, 2 Corinthians 9 
verse 6, remember, because he gives because he loves, right? 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this. Remember this. Turn to the person beside you at Belcluther and say, remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I like, I like reading the Bible. Because, you know, a lot of things I say, you might... Yeah, so if you're not sowing, you know, abundantly, you can't reap abundantly. Because everybody knows that what that was referred to here is, you know, if you want God to bless your life, well, then you got you to gotta give lots and lots and lots of cash. Huh. Wow. Have trouble with? But, you know, to be honest, you cannot argue with the word of God, right? I know people try to, but it's still the word. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. Don't you love the word of God? Abound in every good work as it is written. He who has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge. Now let's take a look at the context. Second Corinthians 9, Paul writes, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. I know your readiness, of which I boast about you in the, uh, to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. This is an offering to care for the needs of the saints, uh, other Christians who are experiencing famine and need in other parts of the Mediterranean. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction." That's the context here. This is this you know there there are, this has nothing to do with meeting the needs of the local congregation or you know tithing or anything like that. This has to do with a gift promised to help Christian brothers you know in poverty and need and want in another part of the Mediterranean world. So and Paul then goes on. So the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So notice, not under compulsion, not reluctantly. What would compulsion be? You have to give in order for God to bless you. That's compulsion. Paul's not arguing that way. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So what what Mortlock is doing with this text is it's criminal. But, but of course, you know, he's got a mortgage to pay on a you know, multi-million dollar mansion, you know, in, in New Zealand. So, you know, you got you to gotta press really hard on people to squeeze the cash out so that he can make his 
payroll there at that church. How many millions of dollars a year is that payroll? And of course, I'm sure he's, you know, he's top of the heap. But we continue. Harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's what I was doing yesterday. I was thanking God. I would have said, thank you, God. I don't know whether it was a hundred times, but I was just sitting on my seat. Thank, thank you, God. Thank you for the people. Thank you for the elders. Thank you for the minister. Thank you for, I'm just saying thank you. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expression of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourself. Prove yourself. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ for your generosity. You notice this, your confession and generosity is all tied together. You can't say you love God without giving. Yeah, you, apparently it's impossible. You can't say you love God without, you know, giving miracle offerings. You know, although he said, oh, you're not buying a miracle. No, 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 no. But you you can't say you love God unless you give. Yeah, and you got to, you know, you got to give enough that it's going to be a memorial before God, you know. And sharing with them and, the, and everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so, friend, the promise of having all sufficiency in all things, that promise of having an abundance is, first of all, condition, conditional on you being a giver. But not just. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no condition of you having an abundance unless you're a giver in Second uh, Corinthians 9. You're totally twisting that text. That text doesn't promise, oh, you're going to have an abundance. Well, but you know, only if you give, you know, and, and give a lot. You've totally wrecked this text. Wow. Wow. Any giver, a cheerful giver. This should be one of the happiest days of the year. We do it once a year, and we do a mission offering once a year. This should be a very happy day. People should be... Well, it's happy for you, Peter, because, I mean, afterwards, it looks like you're going to be able to pay your mortgage on your million, multi-million dollar home again, you know? Cheerful and happy about this occasion. Not only cheerful, but liberal. Liberal. You know the most basic law in the universe? A lot of people think it's the law of gravity. It's true. If I jumped off the stage, I'd be going down. I did put on a couple of kilos in America, and that would help. But everything's big over there. But, but enough to say that um, it's not the law of gravity. Airplanes defy that every day. The most basic law in the universe was given to man in Genesis chapter 1. Right at the what? beginning, God says about this law of sowing and reaping, that every seed will produce after its own kind as long oh. oh, wow, is that a twist. So apparently when God created seed-bearing plants and trees, that then, then says that they will pr- reproduce after that. That's the law of sowing and reaping and you know you you sow avocado seeds you get avocado trees you sow uh carrot seeds you get carrots you sow money you get money wow that is not what genesis is teaching at all as long as the earth remain there's going to be seed time and harvest 
right in Genesis chapter 1. He mentions it again. Yeah, when you hear a pastor preach like this, run, flee. This, the man is basically there to fleece Christ's sheep. In chapter 12, this basic law. Now, we know that seed comes before harvest. You want a harvest of abundance in your life? You better start sowing seeds and make the check payable to Peter Mortlock, care of City Impact Church in New Zealand. Mount Wellington, are you listening to me? Seed, I'm trying to help you today. Lift- oh, I'm sure you are. This is the most selfless act I c- I've heard this week. Oh, man, what a selfless man Peter Mortlock is. Get yourself up out of your situation. Seed comes before harvest. Now, you imagine a farmer, he's got a back of seed. I remember last year, it's amazing how the years go so fast. I know, it's like yesterday. I can remember, I can still see Mark Rice's face as I walked down the aisle throwing this bag of seed around. And, you know, and, and, and I had a bag of seed and I threw it around. Do you remember that? Yeah. And you imagine if a farmer's got a bag of seed, he can either grind up that seed and make bread out of the whole lot and hope that somebody will give him something next year. Or he can use some of it for himself and sow some. And he knows whatever he sows is his family's future, is is for the future. And so he knows that he's sowing for next year's harvest. Now, as I said, we're not buying a miracle. We need to be clear of that. I want to encourage every person here to read this book again, The Blessed Life. It lays it out. Yeah, Robert Morris's book, which is a complete abomination and false teaching regarding the so-called principle of the first. We've covered it here at Fighting for the Faith. If you haven't listened to it, go into the archives and look up Robert Morris' Blessed Life and listen to my debunking of his false doctrine there. Clearly, and also listen to Pastor Gary Cassis' teaching again on kingdom and the laws of the harvest. And so without planting, it can never happen. In other words, you cannot reap what you don't sow. You'll never reap love if you don't sow love. You'll never reap friendship if you don't sow friendship. The Bible says if you desire friends, be friendly. (laughs) Many believers, listen to me, many believers are believing for a harvest they've never sown for. Because we know God's God. He's a miracle God. Why don't you just do it? Why don't you just do it, God? Why don't you just do it? And so they're believing God for all these miracles, but have never sown for it. Yeah, apparently God can't work miracles in your life unless you've sown a seed, you know, which the Bible nowhere teaches. You can believe till you blur in the face, friend, but God will not violate his word. He gave it to us in Genesis chapter 1. Whatever you sow in life, you're going to reap. Galatians 6 says, he lays it out. I'm going to let me go back to the Bible again. Do not be deceived. Look at that. Do you like the back of my head? I notice I'm getting more bald here, darling. I think it's because you're not anointing me with oil enough. You know that I'm, I'm going back to that scripture again. You know, a bit of oil on the hair and a few kisses at night. Be nice. You know, because when I turn, I got the bald spot right there, you know. Um, At least I've still got some here. Hey, Pastor Charlie, how are you doing in Mount Wellington there? Just thought I'd say hi to you this morning. It's good to see you. Daryl, 
He shaves it, doesn't he? Yeah. Hey, got to have a new look occasionally. I was talking to one man. I bet not mention his name. He's unshaven. I said, this, I, need, I should have that look, but I'm a bit old. You know, you've got the whiskers happening. It looks good on him, but it doesn't look too good on me, I don't think. Bev doesn't like it in any case. Rebecca, she likes it, I think. <laughs> so in any case, Galatians 6, let's, let's go here. Hey, Mount Wellington, stay with me. Gal- Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. For he sows to his flesh will reap to the flesh. He'll reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season. Some of you are saying, well, you know, last year I gave and didn't. So do you think Paul in Galatians 6 is, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption? Do you think this is all about sowing for miracle offerings? Yeah, I I think Galatians 5 might have something to do with Galatians 6. And uh, let me read for you. Uh, Paul in Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Uh Uh-huh. And um, the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So based on that list from Galatians 5, when we get into Galatians 6, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, verse 7, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow do, weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Doing good, right? Fruit of the Spirit. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see what's going on there in Galatians 6? Galatians 5 sets the table, but yeah, well, Peter Mortlock's not all that interested in context or things like that. No, he's trying to raise a miracle offering, you know? The, the fulfillment of what I was looking for, friend, it's faith and patience. You've got you to endure. By your endurance, you'll be saved. Patience, patience. Let me talk about it. It's not, it's not waiting anxiously and getting frustrated. No, hallelujah. I want to tell you, you've got to rest in God and wait patiently for him, amen? You've got to be in that place of faith. It's through faith and patience. You've got to be in that place of faith. What are you talking about? 
See, notice, no text is really in context now. And it's just proof texting, taking things out, all in the context of, well, you you want an abundance? Well, you know, the, the law of seed time and harvest says you want to reap money, you got to sow money. Since you inherit the promises, it's not like it's all instant, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but you got a hallelujah in due season. We will reap if we do not lose heart. You can't afford to lose heart. I can't afford to lose heart. Oh, there's heaps of things to lose heart over. Yeah, and Paul wasn't talking about losing heart in the context of, you know, a miracle offering. Oh, you have a few losses, but you win the war. Hallelujah. And so the laws of the harvest, I'm here this morning to share five quick laws with you. Five laws that you... Laws, laws. Uh, wait a second. I thought you said that we don't give under compulsion. Wouldn't laws mean that we have to give under compulsion? Where do you get these laws? You could say, or oh, five principles. Listen to me. Laws, because if you don't enact on them, if you don't apply them, then the overflow doesn't happen. But the principle... Oh, yeah. You want overflow to happen. Well, then you got to... <clears throat> yeah, you know. Wow. We continue. Because it's your choice. You see, we're New Testament believers. I don't think there's anybody in this room that's here out of, out of force. You know, nobody forced you to be here. I hope not. And nobody gives this morning because somebody's forcing you to give. It's a free- you say that while giving us laws that we have to obey. Uh-huh. We will. It's a principle. We are New Testament believers. The Old Testament is different. But these are still laws of God. You cannot take away from them. Now, remember. Oh, yeah, you can't. So where did you get these laws again, these five laws? And it comes on the screen just before we get into number one. You only reap the kind of seed you sow. Sow an apple seed. Man, sow money and you get money. Sow a money tree, you know. (laughs) Total con. Reap an apple tree. So a tomato, so love, so money. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Number two, you cannot reap before you sow. You cannot reap before you sow. Number three, you reap more than what you sow. You know the old saying, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you cannot count the number of apples in one seed. Also, please note, God supplies seed to the sower. In other words, he gives to the one who, who he knows will sow the seed. Or who's sown before to the one who's been faithful in the past with what they've had. Remember the talents, the parable of the talents. Good and faithful servant. Now, I want you to make a note of this also before we get to these five laws, five principles. Take a note of this. Seed is the highest use of money. What am I talking about? What? Well, you can spend it. I bought a new shirt over in the States. Do you like this new shirt? I got little, I got little patches of green on it. Get the close-up camera. To match my tie. Very cool. Orange in here. Now, so I spent the money on a shirt. Spent this money. It's gone. This shirt will get a bit of use and, you know, then it's over sort of thing. My wife was just down on Wine Day the weekend. She bought a pair of shoes. Now, she didn't need those shoes. I'm just here to tell you. She did not need them. But all the woman said it was a good thing, right? Well, not all of them. But in any case... You can spend it, and we all spend, because you bought a pair of shoes before, so don't look at her like that. But enough to say you can spend it, and it's gone. Or you can save it. Saving money is good. We all need to save 
X amount of dollars we need to save. It's important to save. We're stewards of money as well. But thirdly, the highest use is you can sow it. Because if you spend it, it's gone. If you save it, you've just got that. Or you can sow it and multiply it. So here are the five laws. Number one, the law of measure. Yes, sow it and multiply it. So you give money to Peter Mortlock and God will miraculously multiply your money. Scripture teaches this nowhere. Write that down at Mount Wellington, the law of measure. Two, the law of the generous spirit. Write that down in Belcluther. Three, the law of cheerfulness. All the miserable people, write that down. Four, the law of faith. I hope I talk about that tonight. Five, the law of love. That's the, talk, that's the one I want to talk about. But let me just say, the law of measure basically is this. You give a little, you reap a little. You give much, you reap much. That's the law of measure. Do I need to repeat it? I think I do, Joe. The law of measure is you give a little, reap a little, give much, reap much. The law of the generous spirit The law of the generous spirit is you give more than you can reason in your own mind. And where's he getting these laws again? I don't recall these uh, laid out in scripture. Do you? I sure don't. The law of cheerfulness. Well, we all know what cheerfulness is. Happy. You're not under compulsion. But that you give with no strings attached. Now, some heard Pastor John Pevere tell the story, and many didn't, but enough to say he was telling the story about a pastor who felt his congregation were giving with strings attached. Troy, what are you doing sitting up there? What are you doing up there, son? Just because you got married, no need to backslide. <laughs> Goodness me. So if you're down the front here with your wife, don't come down now. I don't want to see you up the back again. Any case, he stopped carrying my bag. That's what it is. And he's up there now. He's probably got grumpy with me. I don't know, but no, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. He's got married. See, so any case, that's why the apostle Paul talked about it. That's what happens. So that's a prime example. Joe's down on the front. He's married with a baby. So what are we talking about? Cheerfulness, cheerfulness. No, you're talking about how to fleece and manipulate people into giving a miracle offering. In any case, this pastor thought his congregation was giving with strings attached. So what he did one Sunday on a special offering, he had a big bucket of monopoly money and other kind of fake money that people didn't know about up here. And so they brought the offering for it. And somehow, maybe at a little uprise like this, he swapped the two around them. And he had a big grate up on the stage and, uh, and a fire going in it. And he got the bucket of money, the fake money, poured it into the offering. He said, this morning, we're going to give a burnt offering to the Lord. Well, because everybody freaked out and people were upset and, you know, you can imagine. But friend, once you've given it, you've given it. If, see, if you give it with strings attached, if you give it, you haven't let go of it. I was sitting reading my word this morning and, and you know, God gave me this verse and I was so inspired by it. And it's First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 35. It says, what you sow is not, I've got to get my glasses on. 
What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. What you sow... Yeah, and that's not talking about money either. It's talking about our bodies and the resurrection. ...is not made alive unless it dies. You've got to let it die. And that's a process. There's a time factor in there, amen? And so you don't give under compulsion. You don't give regret. You don't give with strings attached. You give cheerfully. That's the law of cheerfulness. The law of faith is believing in the word and believing in the Lord. You know, God is a rewarder of those who do diligently seek him. Did you know that? Yes, he is. And of course, the law of love. This is the one I just want to focus on for a moment. Remember the words of Jesus at the beginning, the one who has forgiven much, loves much, the one who's been forgiven little, loves little. How is he going to translate this into giving more then? Watch what he does. I just wonder if we've got any idea of really what we've been forgiven of. I was thinking about heaven. Why aren't you giving more money? Do you not understand how much you've been forgiven? You need to give a miracle offering because, you know, Jesus forgave you so much. Now he's using the gospel for outright manipulation. And how yesterday I was thinking about eternity. I was thinking about, you know, spending eternity in one of those two places. I'm just thank God. I don't know why God chose to call me and save me. But I know it wasn't my own. I'm not smart enough for that. I would have just been a sinner. And the Apostle Paul says, if Christ be not risen from the dead, let's just eat and drink and be merry. But Jesus has risen from the dead. God is a creator of heaven and earth and it beholds his friend to be in love with him because he first loved us, amen? And so when you have a revelation of his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and of his love, when you're born again, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, What's our response to that? What's your response in Queenstown to that? Well, give Peter Mortlock lots of money. Is that the right answer? Matthew 22, let's read this scripture. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they were very sad, you see. They were not very cheerful givers. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love. Everybody say love. 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 I can't hear you at Mount Wellington. Love. Love Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, please note again, it's in red. So Jesus said it. It's important. But what's the key word between those two commandments? What's the common denominator? Love, not as the world loves. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy and I think I... Because yummy, 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 love in the tummy wears off. Love is giving. Giving is love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. First John 3, verse 1. How great is the love of the Father... Lavish, lavish. I have to confess that she was down on William two nights. She came home last night. She gave me a big smack on the lips. Really big smack. I mean, she lavished, lavish. Look at this word lavish. I had to say, back away, woman. 
lavish that we should be called children of God. I need to send away more often. But, and we should be called children of God. That is what we are. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down or gave his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions, sees his brother in need and has no pity, notice this love and giving go hand in hand again. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or in tongue, but with actions and in truth. Chapter 4, verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, have I got any acknowledgers out there today? About half the people. Come on, do we acknowledge that Jesus, hallelujah, is the Son of God? God then lives in you and you live in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out all fear because love has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love we love because he first loved us if anyone says i love god yet hates us so again going back to you know the gospel god loved us so you better love by giving money liar For everyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. He who has given us his command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Don't you love the scriptures? I can't in your face. Not popular today, I know. But you know Abraham Lincoln, most would know him, of course, or of him, I should say. And uh, he was uh, the president of the United States many years ago. He was the first president, right? No, he wasn't. Okay, uh, no, he wasn't. That's right. Yeah, in any case, he, he was the president. I'm trying to think of the first guy, Benjamin. George Washington, thank you very much. I appreciate it. There's one... Att- yeah, I'll give him a pass. I don't expect New Zealanders to know their you know the fine points of American history. I, I know barely anything about New Zealand history. So, you know, you know, I'll give him a pass, but not on his Bible twisting. ...presence in the room, Marcus! George Washington, that's true. So in any case, um, I'm not thinking of Benjamin Franklin, but, but uh, Abraham Lincoln was uh, the president of the United States in the days of slavery. Slavery was legal, as you know. The whole Civil War was about that. And uh, true story, Abraham Lincoln uh, purchased and paid the price uh, for this young slave girl. And uh, the young slave girl thought that it was just another transaction that she was being sold to him, that he was a new purchaser. And he looked at her and said, you are now free. She replied, what does that mean? She asked. He said, I purchased your freedom. You're free to go wherever you like. You're free to do whatever you like. The young girl, true story, thought for a moment and replied, then I want to go with you. I want to go with you. You know, it's so true, friend. When you understand what Jesus did, he purchased your freedom. You just want to hang with him. You want to be with him. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. And so my question is, do you want to go with the one who brought you, the one who set you free? Or do you want to go your own way and write your own Bible as so many people? Yeah, write your own Bible. You know, go your own way and write your own Bible. You better start, you know obeying these five laws of, you know, abundance and stuff like that. If you want to go with Jesus, you know, 
So notice, he keeps slipping into the gospel, but the whole point of the gospel is so that you'll give generously to their miracle offering. That today. What will we do with our freedom? Because everything I'm preaching out of the word to you today, I know some people get all upset about it. You know, I was going to talk to you about some of these things about how, you know, faith, I think, has got 500 verses. Uh, money has got 2,000 verses. I mean, Jesus talked more about this subject, but Christians get all... No, he didn't. Jesus did not talk more about money. In fact, look in the archives of Fighting for the Faith, and I debunked this whole myth that Jesus talked more about money than anything. He did not. I'm upset about it. But, you know, the interesting thing is... Do we want to write our own Bible or do we want to understand what the Word of God says? What will we do with our freedom? Jesus said, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. I just love the book of Ephesians where it says... And that means money. Every member playing their part. If every person plays their part, it causes the growth of the body. And so love. People may be saved, friend, and I understand that, but they are bankrupt in treasure. I don't want to be bankrupt. I don't want you to be bankrupt. They're not living what you call the blessed life. You know, in the, in the blessed life, this book here, Robert Morris talks about three levels of giving. You know that because you read it. And he talks about your tithes, which we took up before. And a lot of people even have a hassle with that. But it's in the Bible and it's part of the Christian walk. And then he talked about the second level. The tithe is an Old Testament command under the theocracy of Israel. There is no New Testament command to tithe offerings and he mentioned that when people are tithers they never they don't normally have a problem going to the second level and that is to bring the occasional offering in but then he talked about the third level which is what we're doing this morning an extravagant offering or painful offering or yeah come on you got to give till it hurts so there this is an extravagant painful offering he's trying to exact from these people by manipulating them with the gospel sacrificial offering we're calling it a miracle offering because it produces miracles and you know Cornelius yeah it's a miracle offering because it produces miracles wow Cornelius he was the kind of guy that was in that level Mary the alabaster bowl it was in yeah Cornelius was not in that level I mean he gave to poor people he did not give to the synagogue you know extravagantly in order to earn a blessing you are not telling the truth Neither are you telling the truth about the woman who anointed Jesus. That level, amen? And so I just want to encourage you because I want to teach you the word of God because I want you to live. You're not teaching them the word of God. You're twisting it. The blessed life, amen? Generosity does not give to receive. Remember, through generosity is rewarded by God. And we need to always bear that in mind. But we give because we love first and foremost. And uh, I know in this book also, and you heard it, last year about how we all need to hear from God and you've been asked to pray about this morning and you match your prayer hallelujah to your giving that's what this prayer wall is about and often when you hear from God I know there's an excitement and uh, often you think well hey this is crazy how can I give that much you've heard some of the testimonies and you, but you know the, the Christian life is meant to be crazy oh yeah it's meant to be crazy I mean that's why you need to give you know really until it really hurts because, you know, Christianity is meant to be crazy. You know, it just seems crazy that you would just give that it hurts like that. But, hey, that's what the Christian life is really all about. Okay. We're supposed to be normal people. We're, in fact, we're called aliens in the Bible. Yeah, and that's why we need to give till it hurts. Turn to the person beside you and say, you look like one. No, don't do that. But then after 
Then after you, you get excited, fear can give way to logic. And there's lots of reasons why you shouldn't give. Yeah, fear gives way to logic, and that keeps you from giving you know, crazily. You know, you don't, you don't want that to happen. Lots of reasons why you need the money. Lots of reasons why, you know, you, you should hold on to what you got. And then after that, often comes doubt. Did I really hear from God? Well, you've got to ask yourself, friend, because a lot of people say, well, it might have been the devil. The devil would never want you to give. Um, the devil is the one who is the master manipulator and twister of God's word. And that's what you've done here is you've twisted God's word. And then faith can kick back in, the excitement returns. But that seventh step of love, love, you cannot come and give. You come and give, sorry, because you love God, you love him with all your heart, and you want to reach, reach others with the same message that saved you. So faith positions you to action. Hope, I want to tell you, faith, hope, and love. Faith positions you, but love causes the action. Amen. These three abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Jesus said this, and I close, where your treasure is, there is also your heart. And so I'm just encouraging because I've learned, and I know this to be true, the more you give to God, the more you love him because your heart follows your treasure. People say, how do you love God so much? Well, you pour your finances in there because where your treasure is, there's your heart. Which is a twisting of what he said. Our treasures are in heaven. Wow. I got a bit more to tell you, but I'm not going to this morning. I think I've given you enough. But yeah, I agree. You've twisted God's word more than enough. Here in Auckland, and uh, I talked about no strings attached, but this year we do want people to have a choice in the sense of what they're giving to. And I know some people have got a heart to see our debt reduced, which would be awesome. Helps us with our cash flow. As you know, I think our mortgage is around 12 million. I'm looking for Graham, okay, but I think it's around that. And uh, people want to help reduce that debt. You want to write that on the envelope and that will go directly towards that. Uh, But then the East and the West, I was just out the East on Friday with Pastor Tim looking at a building which looks hopeful and we're just waiting for the landlord to come back on another uh, building alongside it. And uh, enough to say that uh, then we drove out the west of Trafford so heavy, we didn't get to where we wanted to go. But, you know, we are uh, sooner or later um, going there. And just obviously, you know, we're just waiting patiently, but we're in faith about that. Uh, television, as you know, we're extending all that. And, uh, of course, the ongoing work of the kingdom. I'm believing this year for our global impact I won't have to get up at Global Impact and kind of... I didn't have a problem with doing what I did last year, but everybody else did and um, had a lot of feedback about it. But, you know, enough to say that it'd be great to be able to have that prepaid, as it were. Uh, we've got Jensen Franklin and Chris Hill coming, which is awesome. Cost about $100,000, $120,000, I think, to put together all up. with $100,000 to have Jensen Franklin come out to Auckland. Wow. I mean, you know, to do anything these days, turn on the lights costs a lot of money, right? Anybody live in the real world out there or you, you live in Dada land? I don't know. So enough to say that um, down in Belclutha, uh, there's some land next door that Pastor Liz 
and the team there uh, wanting to purchase to a, a section right next door, extending their boundaries. Uh, down in Vicargo, they just moved into a new building. And uh, of course, Pastor Darrell needs more toilets down there. And uh, they need a whole lot of things, which I've got a list of things, but they're going to talk to you about it. The cafe, the offices, the carpet and all that kind of stuff. We know what that's like here. And in Queenstown, uh, there's a car park out the front that needs to be sealed. It's about $70,000 worth and so forth. And, and uh, so every, every center has got uh, things that we want to do with this sacrificial offering, uh, giving towards the work of the kingdom and the ongoing work. And so just before I hand back to the other centers, and I hope and pray that you'll remember this word about love. I hope and pray that you remember the, the sacrifice that Jesus gave because he loved you. And uh, yeah, Jesus loved you so much that he gave. So you got to give sacrificially until it hurts. And I hope and pray that this word would sink into your hearts. But before I come back and close the service, I do want to play a clip. And uh, I, I, you know, to be honest, babe, I think you get the point. <clears throat> that is just flat out blasphemous manipulation in using the gospel as the bait for the hook. And keep in mind, this guy has a multi-million dollar opulent mansion. Yes. So yeah, he's all about the money. Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you. So you better give till it hurts because this is the kind of stuff that produces miracles. That's a total con and a blasphemous use of God's word in order to fleece Christ's sheep, teaching for shameful gain the things they ought not to teach. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.